Like Josh said, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, but I am not a professional preacher. This is not something that I do regularly, and so it's kind of difficult when you know about once a year you're going to get up here, and so you're constantly thinking, man, what am I going to talk about when I, when I get up to speak? And, uh, you know, here, here we are, and uh, now I have a year's worth of, of stuff I feel like I need to tell you, so, uh, so get ready. You have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 16. We're going to be talking about peace tonight, Um, like the peace that passes all understanding peace, the peace that Jesus talks about over and over again and is throughout the scriptures, Uh, the peace that we talk about in our blessing when we leave, Um, that kind of peace. It's mentioned over and over again in the Bible and among Christian circles, but I feel like it's one of those buzzwords. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I I feel like it's, it's a word that we use in a Christian context that's not really used much outside of here in the context that we mean it. Uh, If you hear peace outside of here, uh, not here, but the church, Big C Church, um, usually we're talking about war. You're talking about we're either at peace or we're at war. Um, But that's not usually what we mean when we talk about peace inside the church context. It's kind of like the word fellowship. Um, I played on the church softball team this year, uh, second string right fielder and every other 11th batter. So um, pretty awesome. But uh, every time we would go out there, uh, we would have to pray, because right as the church leaves, so you have to pray. And uh, every time, somebody would say, Lord, I want to thank you for this fellowship. And everybody there you know, knew what we were talking about. But if, if I was at work and I was to say, uh, hey, guys, after work, um, we're going to go get something to eat and have a time of fellowship, I think they would all look at me a little weird, like, what are you talking about? And I think peace kind of falls into that category, because we use it so much. Like, if, if somebody's struggling with a big decision and you're talking to them about it, and they're really struggling, and then they drop the bomb of, oh, I have a piece about it. Well, then it's over. It's done. Because they have a piece about it. And so, so I think we need, as Christians, to kind of understand what we're talking about when we use that term, um, peace. So I, I've been doing a lot of research, and there is an abundance of information on this topic, and I'm going to try to pick some things that I think are important. Hopefully, uh, you guys can leave here. Uh, a little bit more peaceful than you were when you came in. And I think it's important. Um, A lot of you are probably cooks. My wife, Blair, she's here. She's a phenomenal cook. Um, She makes this dish called baked ziti. And if you've ever had a baby or had any sort of major surgery, you have probably had Blair's uh, baked ziti because that is her go-to dish whenever we have the sign-up list, right? And um, so if you want to try it, either get pregnant or uh, have surgery. But... uh, (laughs) If you watch her make it, it's, it's pretty phenomenal because she just knows what to do, right? I mean, and I've tried to ask her questions like, hey, Blair, how, how, how much uh, cheese do you put on there? I, I don't know. You just kind of cover it. Well, Blair, how much salt do you put on that? I don't know. You just kind of do it till it tastes right. I am the exact opposite. I, I am a horrible cook, but I'm an excellent recipe follower. And I think there's a big difference, right? Because Blair got me a, uh, an ice cream maker, homemade ice cream maker for Father's Day. Because why, you know, go buy it at the store from Bluebell for $4 when I can spend an entire day and $40 doing it myself? Um, so, <laughs> but the reason I do that, the reason, I, and if it says like two-thirds a cup of water, I'm like getting the level out, you know, making sure it is exactly two-thirds. Because if I do that, if I follow the rules, then no matter what it tastes like, I can always say, hey, I, I followed the recipe, Right? But real cooks, cooks that know, they're just different. They just feel, it's kind of like if someone were to write a song, right, and play it, and you can just feel it coming out in the song. And if you were to get the sheet music, 
and follow along on the notes having never heard it before. It's going to sound close if you know how to read sheet music, but it's not going to be the same. And I, I think there's a lot of relationship to the Christian walk. If you want to be a great cook and be able to just feel it and throw salt and garlic in there and have something great, you better start out following recipes. You better be, get good at following the directions. If you want to be a great musician and just be able to feel it and, and, and write a bunch of songs, you better start out learning how to read and follow sheet music. It's key. And if you want to learn how to be a peaceful Christian, whenever stuff is going crazy all around you, whenever your, your coworkers come into your office or your classmates come to you and, you know, my parents just got divorced, I just got a bad report from the doctor, things are falling apart. Whenever those things happen, if you want to be able to react like Christ would react in a peaceful way, then you need to learn, follow the directions that Jesus gave. And that's what I think he does here in John chapter 16. In 16 verse 33, Jesus says this. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take part. I have, take heart, I have overcome the world. These things... I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. To give you a little bit of context here, uh, I'm about to summarize the life of Christ, so don't, all you church historians don't come up and, and berate me. But uh, Jesus Christ, right, came here for one purpose, right, to die on the cross for our sins, to reconcile us to God, right? That was his goal. God sent him down here to reconcile us to him, and that's what he did. But did he just come down and die on the cross? No. He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, And for three years, we get to see Jesus minister, we get to see Jesus struggle, we get to see Jesus teach, and those who he taught wrote a lot of stuff down, all right? So that's what we have here in John, is a recordation of the things Jesus taught. In John chapter 16, this is right before Jesus is about to get arrested, okay? So he's been ministering with these guys for three years, he's been teaching teaching them, and all the while... The disciples' mindset was that Jesus is going to be this great military ruler, right? They're under Roman control. At some point, Jesus is going to be the Messiah we've always heard about. He's going to overthrow the the Roman government. He's going to establish Christ's kingdom here on earth, and it's going to be awesome. So all chapters 1 through 14 about are just Jesus teaching and these disciples having this mindset the whole time, right? So then we get to chapter 16, and he starts talking about dying. He starts talking about how they're going to tear down this temple and they're going to rebuild it in three days. And I, I feel like when I read it, and you may get a different, different understanding, but when I read it, that the disciples are a little bit in turmoil. And in my Bible, if you look at chapter 14, it starts off by the little heading says, Jesus comforts his disciples. And so this is right before Jesus gets arrested and is put to death, right after the Last Supper. So this is him, him, his time just gathering the disciples together saying, hey, look, guys, i got a few last things you need to know. It is very important for you in your Bible study to pay attention. John 14, 15, 16, and 17 are some of the richest truth. If you're, if you're into like the red letter part of the Bible, you got to pay some attention. I'm going to do my best to pick out some important things, but I urge you, I implore you, please take some time to go through these scriptures because they're just so rich. Okay, so that's a little bit of context. Um, And he's saying, basically, guys, focus on what I've told you. So I want to go back and pick out a few things, a few of these things that Jesus told the disciples, that if you want to have peace in your life, follow this recipe, follow these rules, pay attention to these truths. And I promise you, because 
It's about to get bad. It's about to get bad, guys. I'm going to die. You guys are going to be scattered. They're going to, but, but take heart. Take heart. Remember what I told you. So why does this matter? Why is it important that we live lives of peace? Is it so that we can feel comfortable and, and, and feel good about ourselves? I think not. I, I, would, I would argue that God is not very concerned about your comfort. That God is concerned about his glory. And God says, if you, if you seek me, if you follow me and you concern yourself with my glory, then all these things, peace is going to come. God is not concerned with us having this, this great attitude. But peace is important because people are watching you. And there's going to come a time, like I said, when you're sitting in your office and a bomb is dropped on you, when you have a horrible day, and how you react to that is going to be so important to bringing God glory. Because if people know you're a Christian, um, it's important that we act like it. So, and, and I give the example of, it's the first day of work, right? And so you have two Christians, right, that show up to the office. One Christian uh, sets up their precious moments figurines, right? And uh, they get their posters up and they put verses all over their screen and uh, maybe wear t-shirts with a lot of neon on it. And, uh, <laughs> thanks. And, uh, but then that day comes, whenever they get yelled at by the boss, they get called in, something happens, it's a crazy hectic day, and they blow up, right? And they blow up, they lose their cool, and they ruin every precious moment figurine that they put up in their desk by that one action of completely losing their cool, gossiping about the boss, talking bad about how everything, how everything is. And then you have the other Christian, right? that goes in and says, you know what, I'm just going to love people. I'm going to bring God glory every chance I get. I'm going to focus on him. And when that bad day comes, they handle it with grace, with, with a calmness, with a peace that passes all understanding. And I guarantee you, that second person, there's going to be a time when their coworkers are going to come to them and say, you know what, you don't handle things like the rest of us. When we're all talking bad about our coworkers, you, you, don't, you don't take part in that. Why is that? What's different about you? Well, let me tell you. We want to focus on being the type of Christian that lives it first, right? And, and, and I think that living a peaceful life, not being overcome by the things that, that, that surround us, I think that plays a big part of it. I think peace is very, very important. So these things, all right. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Turn back to John 15. One chapter back. This is where Jesus starts with what I think are the, the tools to peace, if you will. And if you're a note taker, this might just be a pretty good night for you because I actually have points. Um, John chapter 15, the first point is abide. If you want peace in your life, abide. This is one of the things that Jesus had told them so that they may have peace. John 15, chapter 1. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. whole point of this is, guys, 
The Christian life is difficult. Jesus, if you read through all this, he's telling you the next, the next set of verses is the world hates the disciples. Okay, he's telling them, look, things are going to get bad for you. Problems are going to come. But if you abide in me, you can overcome them all. Uh, Martin Luther preached a sermon on John 16, 33. Had some good things to say, so I stole them. And I want to read a little excerpt of that. He says, it is, it is as though Christ wanted to say, my dear friend, Write the word I in a very large capital letter in order that you may see it well and take it into your heart. It does not matter that you are small and weak. I am all the larger and stronger. Christ declares, I have already overcome the world. Thus the great and the small, the rich and the poor will join hands and be a match for the great monster behemoth. If he tries to swallow and devour you as if you were a little gnat, I will become a big camel in his throat and tear my way through his belly until he bursts and has to return you in one piece, whether he wants to or not. I am the one that says this to you. But you must turn your eyes from yourselves and be sure to consider who I am in order that you may be able to say, listen, devil, 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 death, pope, emperor, and world. You are really putting on airs. You are showing your long, sharp teeth and are opening your jaws wide. Compared with you, I am a poor little worm. This is true. But what do you think about him who says, I am the one and I have overcome the world? He says this to me and tells me to rely confidently on it. It is very important that we understand our place. When John the Apostle was asked about, John the Baptist was asked about Christ, he simply said, I must become less and he must become greater. If you want to leave here today and go to work tomorrow and have peace in your life, the first key is we got to understand where that peace comes from. It's, it's, a, it's a difference between discipline and dependence, right? Adam was in the garden leading a perfect life. His first sin, the first sin that brought sin into the world was independence, right? Satan told him, you can be like gods. That was the first sin. It's been passed on. It's in each and every one of us, and it will cripple your faith. We must remain dependent. Prayer, uh, scripture memory, worship. These are all important disciplines, and we need to practice them. We need to try to get better at them. We need to work hard every day. But if we, if we only focus on being disciplined Christians that learn a bunch of information and we lack the dependence on Christ, we will do more damage to the faith than the most committed atheists. I'm going to say that again. If we lose our dependence on Christ and we gain nothing but knowledge, we're going to do more damage for the faith than the most committed atheist, because it's those people. It's that first Christian I talked about that wears the T-shirts, puts up the signs, and then blows it as soon as they open their mouth that does more damage than if, any, if somebody just came out and said, you know what, I just don't believe in God. May that never be said of us. Dependence on Christ. Know where your help comes from. Rely on that power, because it's got to start there. If it doesn't, we're missing the whole point. And if you, feel, if you read about these Christians that, that have these massive falls, whether they're pastors or very public Christians, whatever they are, it's because they've lost their dependence on Christ. Um, Frank Friedman, who's a pastor in town, I've, I've said this before, um, he, he was meeting with this missionary or whatever, and they were, they were distraught about how the divorce rate among missionaries was the same as it was among the non-Christian world, right? The divorce rate was exactly the same, and that really troubled them, right? Because these are supposed to be uh, committed Christians. And... Um, and, and the, the missionary guy just said, you know what, I think it's because we've ha- we have a lot of educated criminals. Frank was like, what are you talking about? 
And I thought this was interesting, and I, like I said, I've said it before, so just bear with me. But um, you take a criminal, right, who has, is leading a life of crime. They have a heart of a criminal. And you go, you go to prison, okay, and you teach them a bunch of stuff, and you, uh, they get a college degree, right? Oftentimes, when they leave, you just have a better educated criminal that will do uh, more sophisticated crimes. If you don't deal with that heart issue, all you're doing is piling education after education on nothing. It is important that we focus on the heart issue, that we understand that we must abide in Christ, that we can do nothing without him. Because without him, we are nothing. He says that over and over again. All right, so the first key is abide. The second point, turn to John chapter 16, verse 24. Ask. Jesus says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. I'm sorry, 23. Let's start with 23. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. You want to have peace in your life. If you're one of those people that just gets riled up real quick, tonight, start praying that God would change that about you. We have to ask every day. We have to go before God and ask. Now, when Jesus says, ask and you will receive whatever you ask in my name, I feel like that's a bit of a point of contention among the church, right? Because there's a lot of people that feel that that verse means that if I want to drive a Hummer, whatever, uh, then all I have to do is ask and believe and really think that God's going to give it to me and it's going to happen. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. When Jesus says, ask and you will receive, He's talking about aligning our heart with God's heart. And to me, that's the purpose of prayer. It's not only for effective ministry, but it's also for peace in your heart. Now, when it it comes to asking, prayer is something that we've talked about numerous times here at the ring. There's been Bible. Some of you may be in a summer class on it. I I don't know. But there's, there's class after class on the importance of prayer. I wish there was an easy way. I wish there was a way where where if you want to be an active prayer warrior that you could come up and we could gather around and lay hands on you, and boom, you would be an active prayer warrior. But that's not how it happens. You want to be an active prayer warrior, you've got to practice. You've got to make it a point every day to pray. Um, Vody Balkum did a sermon on prayer and and said some interesting interesting things. He said that uh, this guy came up afterwards and he was saying, he was like, look, I just want want to be more of a warrior. Tell me what I need to do. I just want to be... I want to be a man of prayer and a man after God's own heart. And Vody said, um, okay, tomorrow morning, I want you to make your bed. And then the next day, I want you to make your bed. And the guy was kind of taken aback, and he was like, look, no, I, I, need, you to, I need you to pray for me. I need you to tell me, you know, prayers to pray. I need, I need you to tell me what I need to do. He was like, no, trust me. Tomorrow morning, make your bed. The next day, do it again, and do it every day after that. And uh, a few weeks later, the guy came back, and a funny thing happened. Uh, He got up the next morning, he made his bed, and he remembered to pray. And the next day, he made his bed, and he remembered to pray. The important thing is, whatever you have to attach prayer to, do it. If it's brushing your teeth, pray while you brush your teeth. If it's your time to pray on your way to work, turn the radio off, then that's your thing, and that's something you can remember to do, do it. Because I'm going to tell you, just like Jesus told the disciples, it's about to get bad. If you live life long enough, tragedy is going to come your way. There is going to come a time in each of our lives 
where we can't do anything but pray. And when those times come, we can face those, those situations with a tremendous amount of peace if we put in the time becoming an active prayer warrior before that day. Because there's two types of people that, that pray without ceasing, right? The first type is someone that had that bad report, and they were in that situation where there was nothing they could do but pray. Whether it was a bad report from the doctor, it was a divorce in the family, whatever it was, wife just left them. They couldn't do anything but pray. Those people don't have any problem praying. The other person is someone that was taught well from the beginning and made prayer an active discipline in their life while fully relying on the Spirit. Prayer is key, but it's something that you have to work at. Because if we don't, if we don't make prayer a priority, it's going to fall by the wayside, and we're going to go, I'm guilty of this too, go along swimmingly in our life until, bam, that bomb is dropped. And we're not prayed up. Uh, another, another point is, is uh, another thing I read on the internet that I thought was interesting is that uh, there was a time, Frank Thomas, some of you know Frank Thomas, uh, could hit, hit a baseball 600 feet, uh, really awesome slugger, got up there and swung for the fences every time. There was a time in a game, I can't remember what it was, there was a time in a game when he was called on a bunt. Had to get up there and lay down a bunt, and he struck out. He couldn't do it. Because his whole life, all he had done is swing for the fences. You could have gotten a 12-year-old up there and it's a fundamental of the game. And he could have laid down that bunt with no problem. But because Frank Thomas stopped practicing when it, the game was on the line and he was called up to the plate to do that simple act, he couldn't do it. And I'm afraid that if we don't practice, our, if we don't make it a priority in our lives, there's going to come a time when that, that bomb drops. And we're like, oh, Lord, what do I do? And we react, not with peace, but with great turmoil. Make prayer a part of your life. If you want to be a person of peace, you've got to ask for it. Ask for it every day. Make it a priority. Okay. Oh, another thing. Pray about everything. Bible says it over and over again. Pray without ceasing, right? Um, I've got a young son, right? He's just now starting to talk. He hadn't started really praying yet, but um, (laughs) if you've ever heard kids pray, right? It's... um, they pray about everything, right? And, and, and they just kind of go on and on, right? Just praying about everything and anything, and it's the most random stuff, and you want to stop them, right? And you want to say, hey, look, you know, we need to separate things that are important enough for God and things that aren't important enough for God. But wait, <laughs> if everything is important enough for God, if you find yourself in your prayer life differentiating between what's important enough to bring to God and what's not important enough to bring to God, you're missing the boat. Uh, Corey Ten Boom said, um, any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small to be made into a concern. We need to have that mindset that I'm going to pray about everything all the time. I am going to be a person of prayer. All right, third point, love. Last time I think I was here, I talked about love. Uh, but if you go to 15, chapter 9, I know we're jumping around in 15 and 16. I'm sorry, ch- chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. To me, this is the third thing that Jesus said, that if you want to have peace, remember these things. Number three, love. Okay, and if you turn back to chapter 16, real quick, verse 26. He says this, he said, in that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you 
because you have loved me and have believed I came from God. One of the commentaries I read, I thought this was so cool, and since I have the microphone, you have to listen to it. I uh, hope you find it as cool as I did. But, um, all right, there's three types of love in Greek, right? There's eros, which is where we get the word erotic. That's your, like, husband-to-wife love, right? Then you've got uh, phileo, which is, like, your brotherly love, city of Philadelphia. If you've heard all this, just bear with me. Phileo is, like, friendship. I like you. I want to be around you. I want to spend time with you. That's phileo, all right? Then you've got agape, all right? Agape is that God-like love, the I, uh, I am concerned with your well-being type of love. But it's much uh, less on a personal level than something like phileo, right? And in the Jewish mindset, agape love was God's love. That's what they knew. That's what they were taught. When they said agape, they meant God's love, that I have a good feeling or I'm concerned about your well-being. I uh, intend good for you. That's agape love. Uh, but an interesting thing here in verse 27, Jesus doesn't use agape when he said, no, the Father himself loves you. He said phileo. And to the Jewish disciples, that was a game changer for them. Because all their lives they had been taught that God was concerned with their their well-being. And here Jesus is telling them that the God of the universe, the creator of the world, likes you. And that's what I want you guys to ask yourselves is, do I believe that? Do I believe that the God who created heavens and earth and has my well-being in his mind, that he likes me, that he thinks well of me, that he wants to spend time with me? Because I think a lot of times when we're not at peace, it may be because we have some uh, false truth about who we think God is and how God reacts to us. God likes you. God wants to get to know you. And if you can enter into that relationship with God, I think it's going to be a game changer for us, just like it was a game changer for the disciples. So when Jesus is talking about love, there's two kinds, right? There's love of God the Father, and then there's that love we have of each other. All right, so turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Maybe in your Bible, it's in my Bible under the heading murder. You might be wondering what we're going to do here. But um, chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. I'll give you a little context. Uh, Jesus just basically said to to the people he was talking to, um, you may not murder somebody, but if you have a bad feeling for him, it's just as bad. It's a little weird, but that's what he said. If you have ill will towards your brother, if you think bad thoughts about your brother, then it's the same as if you had murdered them. And then he says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now, we don't have altars here, right? But that was the the Jewish people's form of worship. Right? They would come to the altar, they would make a sacrifice. And so I think if we take what Jesus is saying here and apply it to our lives, before the band comes back up and we sing these last couple of songs, there may be some people in here that need to go make a phone call. Because Jesus is saying that your worship is fruitless. Your attempt to live a Christian life is fruitless if you don't first make things right with your brother. And I think if you want to have peace with God, 
peace with your fellow man, if you want to be a person of peace, then we've got to start making things right with the people that we live life with. We cannot be a people that holds grudges because it's not going to work. Jesus Christ himself in the red letter said, don't even, don't even bother coming to worship if you need to go talk to someone about your interactions with them. If they have something against you, leave your worship here, go get it right first. Uh, love is key. God says to remain in my love. I hope that when people talk about the Ring Community Church outside of here, that they see us as a people of love. And I hope when you go to work and when you go to class and when you go to your family's barbecue, that they see you as a, pe- as a person of love. It is key. It is absolutely imperative that we love one another. Because if we don't, we're missing the point. Okay, remain in my love. And then lastly, go back to John chapter 16. And I'm going to close with this. Verse 33. We're going to read it again. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The fourth ingredient or tool or item or whatever you want to look at, however you want to look at it, the fourth item is hope. Jesus leaves the disciples here. Hey guys, I'm about to go die and it's about to get crazy. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What we need in our Christian life is a change in perspective. Most of you don't need more Bible studies. You don't need more uh, scripture memory. You, don't, you, 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 you can work on those things and that's great. But you may, what most of us I feel like need in this room is a change in perspective about what's important. Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? This world's going to hate you. They're going to crucify me. They're going to beat you. Most of you are probably going to die. But take heart because all of that stuff doesn't matter. And I want to say to you that it's hard to even make the correlation because chances are most of us are not going to leave here today, go to work and be crucified or be beaten or face any of the things that the disciples or Paul or any of these guys faced. But whatever is going on in your life from I just got a bad report to the doctor to I was abused as a child, whatever it may be, because I, I imagine in this room we run the gamut of severity of bad stuff going on in our lives. Whatever it is, Jesus is saying to you, take heart. I have overcome the world. There's going to come a time when none of this matters. The only thing that's important is my glory. And if we can have that perspective, that no matter what we do in our lives, that we need to do it for the glory of God, if we can have that mindset, I promise you, the stuff that comes our way is not going to be near as important in light of God's glory. Focus on me. Abide in me. Remain in my love. Ask me for anything you want. Guys, I have overcome the world. You want to have peace in your life? Believe in this verse. Thank you. I ask you to pray with me. Dear God, I thank you so much uh, for this time we have together. God, I, I, I pray, Lord, that uh, the words of your truth fell on fertile soil. God, I pray that you would, uh, as we go into this time of worship, God, that, that, that you would begin to grow those seeds, God, so that tomorrow, um, when we go out into our everyday lives, we are more like you 
than we are right now. God, I pray that you would, you would continue to grow us, you would continue to teach us, you would continue to change our perspective so that we can change the world for you. God, it's in your name I pray. Amen.